Welcome to one more edition of Politics Then Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Today, we are honored once again to have Norman Solomon, who is a, an American journalist, activist. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Media critic and co-founder and national coordinator of rootsaction.org. He is the author of War Made Easy and is a longtime associate of FAIR, Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting. His book, War Made Invisible, How America Hides the Human Toll of Its Military Machine, is a must read. And you're back here again. First of all, welcome to Politics Done Right, Senor Solomon. How are you doing today? I'm hanging in here. Thanks a lot, Ingberto. I'm so glad to be back with you. Well, you know, last week was, or not last week, a couple of days ago, it was 9-11. And before I ask you my first question, I want to tell you a short story. At KPFT 90.1, we had a caller that was irate that I didn't start the program with 9-11. And uh, I relayed that, you know, I am, that these people never asked to be sacrificial lambs at, on 9-11. And I expressed to them about the, the thousands of people that died with the invasion in Panama. Not, not to equate any of these people with that, but I wanted to show that there's a lot of harm that's been done by us. And, you know, of course, there's also Allende for 9-11 in Chile. So, I mean, um, what are your thoughts, first of all, on the celebration of 9-11? Those uh, anniversaries really you know, resonate powerfully and emotionally as they should. And history is precious because if we don't know the past, we really don't know where the present is coming from. And we don't know where we're going unless we can change course. And I'm glad you mentioned all three of those tragedies because that's what each one of them were. The invasion of Panama in 1989, just a made-up pretext, uh, some Navy U.S. Uh, trooper got insulted and the first President Bush used it as an excuse to go in and slaughter people just because of a power trip to control around the canal and uh, Central America and so forth. We just marked 50 years of the 9-11 anniversary in Chile, and it happened a coincidence September 11th, 1973, the U.S.-backed coup deposed a not only democratically elected government, but the government headed by Salvador Allende, the popular unity that was about giving milk to starving children. It was about health care. It was about respecting and honoring and, and rewarding workers for their actual work rather than exploiting them. And after a few years of this tremendous grassroots organizing and achievements for human well-being in Chile, the United States government went in and helped this horrific coup that ushered in 17 years of barbaric torture and repression under the Pinochet regime. And as I say, by coincidence, 22 years ago, 
the 9-11 tragedy that took 3,000 lives in one day, September 11th, 2001. And so we mark that, we mourn those people now as we did then. One of the things that I emphasize in this book you mentioned that's just come out, War Made Invisible, is that the preciousness of human life needs to be a single standard. And what we're constantly besieged by through the ideologues, the nationalists, the racists, the xenophobes, is to present to us the concept tacitly through omission or sometimes explicitly that some lives really matter and some don't. And so when we look at the so-called war on terror for the last 22 years, it's come into focus for me as I've talked with people about this, that we can even put it in numerical terms. Human beings are not numbers, and yet we can get a sense of the scale. 3,000 3, human souls extinguished on 9-11, each one of them innocent, each one of them civilians. For the next two decades, according to the Cost of War Project at Brown University, the US-led so-called war on terror, in response, we were told, to 9-11, extinguished more than 400,000 civilian lives directly. So, you know, Egberto, I think about that. 3,000, more than 400,000. That means for every person killed on 9-11, equally innocent, more than 100 people were killed because of the U.S. wars. And I'd sort of sum this up, in a sense, by saying that what happened was displaced rage, grief, chauvinism, and collective punishment of the innocent. That is so true. It's amazing that you said that. Because when I, you know, I'm originally from Central America, Panama, in fact, and the, the place that they leveled, they leveled three places, Chorillo, uh, Colón, and David. These were the, the, the places where the Guardia was in these places. And, and uh, you know, they came out and said 516 people died. We all know it's these are tenements and it's thousands of people who, who died there. So I asked the, the, the caller who... Uh, thought many of us by bringing out these truths are being disrespectful. I asked the caller, I said, suppose the same vengeance that that uh, Bush displayed towards Iraq, which was the wrong protagonist anyway, suppose that, uh, that one or two or three of those Panamanians aggrieved by the innocent loss of their entire families out there, suppose they decided that they wanted to exact vengeance again or vengeance on those that attack them. And that is a cycle that we speak about. And when you talk about forever wars, how do we get around it other than, well, let me not give an answer. How do we get around these forever wars based on these fallacies when so many Americans are convinced in statements like these people at 9-11 were martyrs. These were people who never asked to be martyrs. They never asked to be sacrificed, but everybody's talking about, we thank you for your sacrifice. They didn't ask for that. Right. We have cycles, as you said, that have been going on, and we could go back to the Greek tragedies of a few millennia ago that explored that human reality. We should be realistic, but not fatalistic. We can, and we really need to break those cycles of violence, and those cycles are fueled by this kind of nationalism, and of course, 
the profits from the military industrial complex, huge profit taking by major military contractors. I don't call them defense contractors. It might be uppercase D defense, but they are military contractors. Most of what is provided by Raytheon or Boeing or Northrop Grumman has nothing to do with defense. As a matter of fact, it actually makes us more endangered, militarizing the planet further, exporting more weaponry and so forth. So we have this opportunity to say, we're going to educate, we're going to agitate, we're going to organize, we're going to build independent media. And in our own small ways, my book, this program, we are part of this ecology of people from the grassroots growing and saying, we're not going to put up with this anymore. Now, as we talk about the military industrial complex, a question that that all, always bothers me, do you think do you think that uh, these guys promote, bribe our politicians to do all that they do with the programs that they for building all these equipment, some of them that will never be used? Do you think this is a, is a concerted effort just to make money irrespective of uh, the damage that it caused uh, to humanity? Do you think that these guys know the damage it caused, but that is just the, the cost of doing business? There are true believers uh, in the United States as the de facto Pax Americana. Uh, we hear all the sloganeering, which I assume to some significant degree among many of those so-called leaders is really believed. Uh, American exceptionalism uh, under the Clinton administration ever since we've heard that the United States is the world's indispensable nation. And as I say in the book, the United States is indispensable to itself. Most of the rest of the world would do just fine, thank you, without the United States. As a matter of fact, mm -hmm. uh, quite a bit better in many respects. The US is 4% of the world's population, and yet to hear about it, oh, we're, we're God's gift to the world. Many, most people in many respects experience it opposite. I'm afraid that not only the nationalism and zeal for geopolitical positioning and the trade agree agreements and leverage and power in different parts of the world. That's a lot of it. And mixed in in there, just the tremendous profits. I mean, even Eisenhower in 1961, when he left the White House, called it a military industrial complex. Now it's a military industrial media surveillance complex, Silicon Valley making out like bandits, all these uh, corporatists who were just at the top strata, they're getting really rich where we're getting immiserated. Uh, the population, I mean, whether you live in San Francisco, Houston, New York, or anywhere else in the US, you don't have to walk far to find people in communities lacking healthcare, education, housing, infant care, elderly care. And so I often think of something that Martin Luther King Jr. said when he denounced what he called the madness of militarism. He said this excessive extreme military spending he called it a demonic suction tube. That is sad. Now, let me tell you, um, Norman, um, what I find ironic is that you made some statements about America just now. Some of the world would do just fine without America. Uh, we, are, we shouldn't sit down there and call ourselves exceptional. I consider you a patriot. I consider you a patriot. I consider... Anybody who looks at the flaws inherent to our system 
and decide I'm going to speak out about it to see if we can change, if we can atone. That's a patriot. That's somebody who loves the country that they're in. How do we convey to those who are made to believe that people like you who tell the ultimate truth, that you are in fact patriots and the ones who are telling them otherwise are the ones who should be considered traitors to the country. After all, if we follow their path, we're following our own demise. I think the word you used, atone, is very significant because without atoning, without remorse, then the arrogance will continue. President Biden just visited Vietnam. There was no indication of remorse. Um, in my book, I wrote about a quote that I stumbled across in the research from Jimmy Carter. And yes, he's the best ex-president we've had in our lifetimes, low bar, but still he's done a lot of stuff after being president. But when he was president, I just think of, let's have real history. Let's understand what happened. The chaos now in El Salvador, you can go back to President Jimmy Carter's support for the Duarte regime, which was a suppressive one in the late 1970s. I bring that up in the context of Vietnam because Jimmy Carter, two months after he became president, was asked at a news conference, Mr. President, uh, do you feel that the United States should provide some restitution and aid to Vietnam now that the war is over? And President Carter replied, quote, the destruction was mutual, unquote. And oh, he added, I never knew that. He said, for that reason, we have no reason to feel bad about the war. We don't owe them anything. And here we are in the latter part now of 2023. And I think about just in the last couple of decades, Libya, Afghanistan, Iraq, where the United States used tremendous firepower. We don't owe them anything. As a matter of fact, I, I wrote about in War Made Invisible, this is another form of the invisibility, very little talked about, that the United States government has basically stole several billion dollars from the Afghan people. After the war was over, just retained several billion dollars that the Central Bank of Afghanistan deserved and needed desperately. And as a result, the last couple of winters, major famine and significant starvation and huge malnutrition. So it's not enough that the United States for 20 years occupies and bombs and strafes Afghanistan. Now we're not even assisting them in the Don't human mean. being's dire need. Let me, let me stop you there for a second, because uh, making that statement, I want folks to be able to corroborate it, because you, I, you just taught me something. You said that there's a, there are billions of dollars that Afghanistan has, I guess, throughout the Western banking system, that it's due them, that they never receive. Is that from rare earths and so forth that's been mined from their land, or where did that money come from? The uh, Karzai government had it. Um, essentially deposited with the US government. And so it belonged to the government of Afghanistan. When the Karzai uh, regime fell, government, whatever you want to call it, 
and the Taliban came back, the U.S. Uh, was asked and pleaded with by Bernie Sanders and others in Congress, members of the Progressive Caucus, please, the winter is coming. People need the money. They need the financial heft that the Central Bank of Afghanistan uh, possessing uh, to be able to do the development and the aid and literally put food in people's mouths. And uh, Biden dithered and dithered for several months. And then about four months after withdrawal from Afghanistan, he came up with this cockamamie formula. He said out of the $7 billion that the United States possessed of Afghan government money, half of it would be put in a trust fund for victims of 9-11 in the United States. Well, Afghanistan what? had nothing to do with uh, what happened on 9-11. Not one of those people wow. was uh, Afghan of the 19 hijackers. That's how crazy it got. And then the other half was eventually supposed to wend its way back towards Afghanistan, but it's unclear if and how that's happened. You know, um, I, I try to explain several times, you know, because you hear people say that uh, those terrorists who attack us, they hate our freedom. And it's it's so that is so far removed from what's on their minds. You don't hate somebody's freedoms. You hate somebody who messes with you or somebody who puts you in bondage. And I think that's exactly what you're illustrating there. I mean, uh, no, nobody hates America's freedom. In fact, I read sometimes I wonder how free we are. Wonder, you know, Mark Twain said long ago, uh, the in the United States we have the uh, the tremendous blessings uh, for freedom of speech, freedom of conscience, and the wisdom to never use either one. Um, <laughs> he was exaggerating a bit in Mark Twain fashion, but uh, an underutilized. First Amendment and underutilized freedom, our struggles really are all about using it, using those freedoms rather than just sort of being acculturated to be passive. And at this point, I think we have that opportunity to turn things around, but it means cutting against the dominant culture. So let, let me ask you, um, Norman, if, if you had the power in, and, and let's do this in closing. If you have, and, and, and take as much time as you want. In closing, what would be, now, first of all, I know, in closing, please, folks, get that book, uh, War Made Invisible, How America Hides the Human Toll, This Military Machine. I think it's an important read. But above and beyond that, if you had omnipotent power, how could we turn this juggernaut around? We could turn it around potentially with what Antonio Gramsci, the anti-fascist, called pessimism of the intellect and optimism of the will, to realize that in terms of the climate emergency, in terms of the militarism, the threat of nuclear war, uh, rampant corporate capitalism running amok, all these different uh, challenges and evils, that we have an opportunity to be realistic but not fatalistic. We can energize our independent media outlets. We can organize in communities and around the country. We can build the kind of independent communication systems that are against our culture. I mean, when you think about it, the mass media only really urge us consistently to go out and buy things and maybe vote once in a while. That's antithetical to what democracy needs to be. 
part of what really struck me in researching ways that we've been scammed and we've been spun into ignorance and through omission, uh, absence of knowledge of our own history, is that democracy is supposed to be the informed consent of the governed. It doesn't work otherwise. But for the most part, now we have the uninformed consent, pseudo-consent of the governed or really dominated by corporate military powers. I think we do have the potential to have a political and social culture where magic wand or not, if I could at least help this to happen, we'd have a much more politicized culture. We would have a, a, a sort of a horizontal way of people communicating and nurturing each other. We wouldn't say, how much is he worth, meaning dollars in the bank or investment in Wall Street. We would say, how much is she worth? How much is he worth as a human being helping others, people that we don't know, being willing to help people we don't know because of the common good? And so the possibility, I think, and I'd sort of sum it up this way, the possibility is to educate, agitate, organize, and struggle for political power. One more comment that Martin Luther King made that is just to me tremendously powerful. He said that power without love is cruel. It can be very brutal. He said, love without power is anemic and sentimental. So we need love and power put together. Norman Solomon, American journalist, activist, media critic, the founder of RootsAction.org, and the author of War Made Invisible, How America Hides the Human Toll of Its Military Machine. Thank you so kindly for having been in on Politics Done Right with your wise words as usual. Thanks so much. And I really appreciate everything you're doing, Egberto, and many thanks ongoing to Politics Done Right. We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.